Father, it's been an amazing journey. It's been a, actually a very fun journey. And we thank you and we praise you for uh, the way that things have gone during this past year as we've studied this book. And Lord, I thank you for the excitement that has continued to grow. Uh, Lord, I've been a part of many studies where it starts off pretty big and, and it wanes over time. But we praise you. We thank you so much for the fact that attendance has continued to increase. And the excitement about what you're showing us from your word has uh, been growing. Lord, tonight, as you have been doing all throughout this study, we thank you that you're going to open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and our minds. And Lord, I thank you that what you've shown me from this study tonight is exciting me to hurry up and get to teaching it because there's so many neat things that are here. So Lord, wrap us up tonight in, in our study, but at the same time, uh, excite us even more about what's in this book. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Revelation 22 is where we're going to be. Verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to start. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 6. Let me read it to you. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or of the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent His angel to show His servants the things that must soon take place. Now we're going to stop and break this section down a little bit. And the first thing I want you to see is, and hopefully you've noticed this, how many pictures of Jesus Christ are in the city, the New Jerusalem, there in heaven. And one of them we see here is in that river. The river of the water of life, as it's described, is a picture of Jesus. It's an actual river. It's a literal river. But it's also a picture of Christ. Because I want you to see, go back to uh, uh, John chapter 14. And we're just going to read a very familiar verse that most of you could uh, quote, but I want you to stay in the Gospel of John as well, because we're going to look at some other things. But in John chapter 14, look at what Jesus says in verse 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We're going to be taking a look at how Jesus is the life. He's the water of life. He's the bread of life. We're going to be, uh, he's the tree of life, as, as you will. We're going to be taking a look at this tonight. And so I want to just, uh, while we're in John, jump over to chapter 7. And look at something Jesus said at one of the feasts. In John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. said, on the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You remember back in John chapter 16, Jesus said, It's good for you that I'm going away, because if I go away, then the Holy Spirit, or the Counselor, will come, and He'll live within us. That's why He told His disciples, Wait in Jerusalem to receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, whenever anybody trusts in Jesus as their Savior, the Spirit comes to indwell them at that moment, because this is after His death and His resurrection, and He's been glorified. But look at what Jesus 
Jesus is saying. And the neat thing is the Scripture clarifies what He's saying right here. He said, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to Me and drink. Now, you remember the conversation with the woman at the well in John chapter 4, and He said, if you had known who was talking to you, you would ask Me and I'd given you living water. Well, she didn't. that made no sense to her. She says, how can you give Me this water? You, the well's deep. You don't have anything to draw with. She's still thinking physical sustenance, you know, for thirst. He's talking spiritually, saying, if you actually drink of Me. Now, again, we start saying, well, what does He mean, drink of Him? But the Scripture here actually clarifies it. Look at what it says. Verse 39, By this He meant the Spirit, when He talked about the streams of living water, by this He meant the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. How do you drink of Jesus? You believe that He's who He says He is. You believe that He is the way that you be forgiven before God, the way that you are righteous. Hopefully, there's no one in this room that if I were to ask you, if you died, would you go to heaven? Hopefully, there's nobody in this room that would say yes, because I believe in Jesus and I'm living a good life. The issue is not whether or not you're living a good life. Now, of course, God cares about whether or not we are living obedient to His Word or whether or not we shine for Him. But honestly, your answer needs to be, because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. The fact that I live a good life, that's, that's just that's extra. That has nothing to do with whether or not I'm going to heaven. The answer needs to be, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe He's who He is. I believe He lived without sin. I believe He died on the cross to cover my sin. I believe He rose from the dead. I believe that what He did covers me. I've asked Him to forgive me. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my need. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. And He has forgiven me. He's given me of His Spirit. I'm going to heaven totally because of Jesus. I have drank of Jesus Christ. Just in the same way in which you don't have water, you don't live. You only go so many days without water or else you die. In the same way, spiritually, unless you drink of Jesus, you can't have eternal life. And here we see in the city of Jerusalem, the river of the water of life. Who is that? It's Jesus. Yes, there's an actual river there. But it's just reminding us of Jesus Christ. Alright? Now, yes? No. No, no, no. Throughout the Scripture, we've been looking at things that what we see here has been literal. But not only is it a literal river there we see in Revelation 22, it's also symbolic. You understand what I'm saying? For example, my wedding ring is literal, but it's also symbolic. My baptism was literal. I was baptized, but I was, it's also symbolic of something else. You understand what I'm saying? So that river in Jeru that we see in Revelation 22 is an actual river that's going to be in the city of Jerusalem, flowing out from the throne through the city. It's going to be an actual river, but it's also very symbolic. Very much so. But it was a literal, literal, literal building. Yep. Right. Let me show you another example. Uh, we saw there in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 6, that there's also the tree of life to be eaten from. Remember back in the garden, they had a choice. God said He planted in the center of that garden the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All God said was, don't eat from this one tree. He never said they couldn't eat from the tree of life. That was available to them. But because of the temptation of Satan, that other tree sure looked good. And before they ate from the tree of life, they went and ate from the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. And then the cataclysmic events followed. But 
go to John chapter 6. Jesus talked about this as well when it talks about eating. Look at verses 30 through 58. So they asked him, chapter 6 of John, verses 30 through 58. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And then they gave him an idea. In other words, you want to give us a sign? Here's one. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now at this the Jews began to grumble about Him because they said, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, uh, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And it is, as it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. Again he says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life... Sorry, read it again. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? In other words, that's cannibalism. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, to be honest with you, the very next verse says, upon hearing this, many of Jesus' disciples stopped following Him. I mean, let's be honest. Here comes a guy who stands there and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Unless you eat my, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you get eternal life. Some people go, that's sick. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense at all. But see, here's the important thing you got to understand. If anybody's going to understand this truth, the Spirit of God has got to open their eyes. See, that's why it's frustrating sometimes for us. Because God has opened our eyes. We, this, we read this and it makes sense. Oh, He's talking about putting our faith in Him. Someone else would say, I don't see that. 
And then have you ever tried to explain the simplicity of the gospel to someone who doesn't believe? Sometimes you want to shake them and say, what can, how else can I explain it to you? But the Spirit of God has got to open their eyes to see this truth. But what Jesus is simply saying is, in the same way in which you need drink and food in order to live physically, you need spiritual drink and spiritual food to live spiritually, and that is me. Oh, and listen, me alone. Remember he said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Listen, no one comes to the Father except through me. So, with your friends that might say, well, I think there are many ways to God and Jesus is just your way, you can't say, well, they might be right. I actually have a relative of mine who I was sharing the gospel with, uh, and uh, he said, I believe for Jesus for me, but, you know, i got no problem with other people having other ways to get to God. And I said, then so you think Jesus is a liar? Oh, no, I would never say Jesus is a liar. Well, Jesus said He was the only way. So either you think Jesus lied, or you think you're better or smarter than Jesus. Because you get to choose whether or not you think He's right. Did Jesus really say that He was the only way? Yes. So we see in the city of Jerusalem, this new Jerusalem up in heaven, the river of the water of life, the tree of life, is all pointing to Jesus. Oh, and there's one more. Why is there no sun when we get to the new heaven and the new earth in the, the city of Jerusalem? Because Jesus, like His glory is such that there's no need of a sun. His glory, His brightness shines and lights everything. But oh, it gets even better. Go to John chapter 8. Look at verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What do we need light for, by the way? I heard it. To see, right? If there's no light, you can't see. The light helps you to be able to see. Jesus is just simply saying, I am the one who helps you able to see the truth. Now, I'll be honest with you. Last night, something weird happened. I've never seen this before. Some of you might have. But it's a very interesting thing. I was at the uh, Upwards Awards thing for our, our church at First Baptist Merritt Island. And they had this entertainer who was there for the big awards night where they had all, I don't know how many, 400 and something kids that were there who had played in the Upwards basketball program. And this one guy actually announced every one of their names as they ran out and for the smoke and everybody cheered for him and all. It was really cool. But then at the end of all that, this guy comes out and does illusions and things and he took this big disc about this size and it was painted in a spiral kind of with black and white. And he just said, I want everybody to stare at this for 30 seconds. Alright? And he spun it. It was spinning for 30 seconds and as you stared at it, he said, when it gets to the end of the 30 seconds, I'll tell you and immediately I want you to look at my nose. So we're all sitting there, okay. So I don't know how many people were there in the sanctuary there at First Merritt Island. We're all staring for 30 seconds at this thing. And as you stared at it, your eyes couldn't really focus on it real well because of what it was doing. And at the same time, it started to look like it was a tunnel. And he said, yeah, some of you are probably thinking it's starting to look like it's a tunnel. Don't worry. Keep staring. Don't look away. Just keep staring at it. I'll let you know when it's 30 seconds. Then he counted down, five, four, three. And when he said, okay, now look at my nose. You moved your eyes from that. Looked at his, looked at his nose. And his head grew three times the size. It was scary as all get up. I'm not kidding you. We all went, everybody in that whole place went, Whoa! like, what in the world? And then he explained what was going on. It was an interesting thing. 
He said that your brain, trying to focus on that spiraling thing, can't because it won't focus. And so the muscles in your eyes contract and tighter and tighter. They're trying to hold your eyes so perfectly still so it can focus that your muscles are contracting and contracting and contracting in your eyes. And then after 30 seconds of that contraction, he said, by making you just immediately look at my nose and focus on something else, your muscles in your eyes just relax to your optic nerve. And whatever it is you're looking at, as your muscles relax, goes, whoop. It was an amazing thing. So we really think about it. This whole thing, this whole thing of sight is, is it's, it's beyond me. I can't, I can't even figure it out. But there's something to light. Those of you that know you know, people, we know Miss Mickey Bags is this way. She's very, very hard for her to see. She uses magnifying glasses, but they have to be the kind that have the light with them. Jesus here in John chapter 8 said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Go back to John chapter 1. But that's literal now. Yes, it is going to be literal. And that's going to be amazing, you know. Here he's talking figuratively, but when we get to Revelation 22, and the, the amazing thing to me is, is not that he will be lighting the whole world, but it won't be so bright that you can't look at him. Must be a different kind of light than we know of. Because anything that bright, you can't, you, anybody try to look at the sun? Don't do it for long, by the way, if you haven't. Don't try it for very long. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, at the end of this gospel... John sums all this up. In John chapter 20, listen to verses 30 and 31. It said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. I hope you all understand by this point, life is... Being spiritually connected and alive with God through Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, if you have now through faith, will last for eternity. Those who don't have the Son do not have what? They don't have life. Oh, they may think they're living. They might even say, oh, this is living. But it's not. They don't have life. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 5, verse 24... If you believe, you've passed from death to life. Oh, our physical bodies are continuing to die and deteriorate, and they're going to go back to the dust of the earth, or if the rapture comes before that, we're going to leave them. Yes. But, praise the Lord, you will never die. In John chapter 11, go real quickly there, look at what Jesus said to this woman, Martha. It sounds like double talk, but if you listen and look at it closely, you'll see it makes a lot of sense. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now for those of you that make, that makes sense, it's only because God's opened your eyes. But let's be honest, if you 
didn't understand this, that sounded like double talk. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Or you'll live even though you die. Which is it? Both. In the same way, those of you who uh, were mamas and gave birth to babies, you had a live baby inside your belly. When they passed from inside your stomach to out into this world, did they die? No, they kept right on living, but they passed from one world to the next. That's how you're going to pass. You're not going to die if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're going to pass from this life right to the next. We see a picture of that in Acts chapter 7 where Stephen is being stoned. And as he's dying, he says, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Everyone is passing from this life to the next, but not to life. Some go to eternal. I've always heard people put it this way. You're going to spend eternity alive. The question is whether you're going to spend it in smoking or non-smoking. So, but uh, um, that doesn't make as much sense nowadays in Florida where we got rid of that law, so all the restaurants are non-smoking. But I hope you, just in this small section here in Revelation 22, understand that throughout eternity will be reminders of what has been given us through Jesus Christ. And not only that, it'll be Him there Himself. That's just such a cool thing. With the river of the water of life, the tree of life, the light of the life, it's all going to be there. Now, he says something here, though, that we've got to deal with in that last verse, which is verse 6. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Revelation 22. We're back in Revelation 22, verse 6. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must... There's that bugaboo word again. Soon take place. Very good. If you remember earlier in the study, remember we went back to Revelation chapter 1. He talked about how it's going to be happening soon. And we did the study that the word does not mean as in how long until. It actually means when it happens, it will happen quickly, suddenly. That's the word. That's what it actually means. For us, we think soon means it's going to happen tomorrow before next week or something. That means soon. But again, remember, it, it, it The word has more to do with the quickness of occurrence than it does with how long until. Yet, with the fact that Jesus says His coming will occur suddenly or quickly, comes the importance of always being ready and watching. It's all tied up in that word. But I want to remind you, for those of you that that are are struggling with the fact that Jesus said He's coming soon, um, this same Jesus is the one who in Matthew 24 told the story about the master who left his servant in charge, and though he went away... And the servant thought, my master's going to be gone for a long time. So he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He got drunk. He treated everybody badly. And what happened? The master came back quicker than he thought. Immediately after that parable, Jesus goes right into the next one. In chapter 25 of Matthew, you'll see Jesus go into the parable of the, ta- of the ten virgins. In this one, the bridegroom goes away, and the, the, virgin, the ten virgins go out to wait for his return. Five of them were prepared for it to be a long time, and they had enough oil in their lamps. Five did not think it was going to be very long and didn't prepare for that. It was longer than they thought it would be, and five of the ten, the ten virgins' oils ran, ran out of their lamps. They went to go get more oil, and while they were doing that, the bridegroom came back and they were left outside. So Jesus tells a parable about his return saying, I'm going to come back quicker than some people think. He then immediately told another parable that says, it's going to be longer than some people think. So the same Jesus that said, Mike, I'm coming soon, is the one who told the parable that I'm going to catch some by surprise by how quick I come back, and I'm going to catch 
others having to wait a while until I come back. Now, for those of you who have heard me teach on this before, if you know and I know of people who died a lot sooner than we would have thought they would have at a very young age. Jesus came for them quicker than they thought He would. We also know of people who have lived a long time, might be in nursing homes even. Some of them might be in this room who's saying, I don't know how long it's going to be until He finally comes and gets me. It's taken longer than some of you have thought. But keep in mind, this is the same Jesus that said, I'm coming soon. So this, I'm coming soon, must not mean it's going to happen right away. That word soon means when it happens, it's going to happen quickly. It's going to happen suddenly. Be ready and watching. It's going to happen suddenly when He comes. That's what the word soon means. Alright? Now, we're going to... um, come back to this concept though in a little bit in our study because uh, he then says something else that, well we'll get to that in the next section that we're going to have to wrestle with. But let's just stay there for now. Soon does not mean it's going to happen right away. Soon means when it happens it'll happen quickly. Alright? Now, what's amazing to me though, and we're going to go ahead and read this next section, verses 7-13. through 13. What's amazing to me is how many people don't even study this book. And listen to what is said here in Revelation 7. Revelation 22, verses 7-13. through 13. Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. I am, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am your fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. Now we're going to come back to that and wrestle with that one in a sec. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. But look at what he says there in verse 7. He said, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Does that sound familiar? Why does that sound familiar? That's what he said in chapter 1. Go back to Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 3. said, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. We're going to come back to that time is near thing in a little bit. But you'd be amazed how many churches, how many pastors, don't even study this book. They don't teach it, they don't preach it, because they think it's confusing or controversial. But Jesus Himself said, Blessed are those who read it. Blessed are those who take to heart what's written in it. Blessed are those who study it. Blessed are those that we said here in Revelation 22 who hold to the words of this book. John's told, don't seal up the words of this prophecy. Back in Daniel 12, we saw that Daniel had been given this vision of the end times. He said, I don't understand this. God says, don't worry, seal up the words. That's not until the time of the end. It won't be understood until the time of the end. Which, oh, by the way, is further evidence that we're in the time of the end. Because we understand Daniel 12 now. Because when you pair it with Revelation, all of a sudden Daniel 12 makes a ton of sense. 
So if we understand Daniel 12, and Jesus said that it wouldn't be opened until the time of the end, guess what? We're in the time of the end. At the same time, though, look at how much Jesus says, blessed are those who read it, study it, take it to heart, know what it says, and we got denominations and churches that will not touch it. Part of the problem is, they're trying to read it all by itself. And I hope you've heard what I've been saying to you throughout this whole study. This has been a study of the book of Revelation, but it's taken a year because we're doing a study of the Bible as we explain the book of Revelation, and it makes sense. Now there's parts of it that we're going to have to wait and see how it all plays out. But for the most part, we've been able to grasp this. If it weren't possible, you wouldn't still be here a year later. So just pray that leadership in churches, we're not bashing anybody, we're not trying to name names. Just pray that leadership in churches would be obedient to God and just read the book. And trust that His Spirit would be able to teach it as they study it and look at it. But there's so many that stay away from it. They just leave it alone. Alright, now we're going to wrestle with this near thing though. Alright Jim, I, I wrote down in this way in case someone was going to ask this question. All right, I, I, I agree that soon means it will happen quickly or suddenly when Jesus comes, but how do you deal with the description of the time being near as we've seen in Revelation 1 verse 3 and here in Revelation 22 10? Okay, if soon means suddenly when it happens, which it does, what does near mean? I mean, because near sounds like close, right? Yes, and 2,000 years ago, he said it was near. How do you deal with near if it's been 2,000 years? Well, here's, here's what I think. I think I'm right. You're welcome to disagree because you have the right to be wrong. But I think I'm right. Alright? I believe that the Bible, as we've been studying in Revelation, has taught that we're in the last time period before... That last seven year period begins for the nation of Israel. Remember our study of Daniel and the 77s and how there were seven sevens, which was 49 years between the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and when it was finished uh, and, and Jerusalem was finished being built. And then there were 62 sevens, but from that point until the time the anointed one, Jesus, came and rode that donkey into Jerusalem. And we did that study and how that happened to the day. And then there was this pause. The nation of Israel was put on hold because of the rejection of the Messiah. And there was one seven left, one seven year period left that we know now is going to begin at the very end. That's the last thing to happen before Jesus returns. What I think the Bible is saying and what Jesus is saying here when He says the time is near is this is the last time period before that seven year period. There's nothing else to happen time period wise until that begins. You understand what I'm saying? Now, to the Lord, a thousand years is a day and days is a thousand years. The way God counts time is not like how we do. So He, he didn't look at it as being, well, we say 2,000 years. To God, that's nothing. But I think what He's simply saying is, is this. There's nothing else. There's no other time period. You're in the age of grace. Call it the church age, the time of the Gentiles. Whatever it is you want to call this time we're in. That's it. What's next? is the 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation period, all those terms. What's next is that seven-year period we're going to look at next week of what, through Tony's presentation, that seven-year tribulation period, that's what's next. There's nothing between that, or where we are now, I mean, and that occurring. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. When could the rapture occur? Anytime. 
That's why I think the Bible teaches that it's a pre-tribulational, pre-70th week rapture. That's why I believe the Bible teaches we're not going to know who the Antichrist is because he's not going to be revealed until he who restrains the spirits acting through the church has been taken away. We need to be watching. We need to be ready. We're in the time of the end. How long could it be? It could be tomorrow. It could be tonight. It could be ten years from now. I don't know. But it is near because there's nothing else that has to happen. Do you understand? Rapture could occur quickly, soon. Be ready. But the time is near because the next thing on God's timetable is that seven-year period for Israel. That's what near means. There's nothing else going to happen between the church age and what God's going to do with Israel. Does that make sense? Good deal. That's how I like. I like. I think that makes sense to me too. So I like it when things make sense. That can happen in the first three and a half years of that tribulation period. The question, by the way, for those who didn't hear, what about that temple that has to be reconstructed? Remember, the Antichrist Christ doesn't step into the temple until halfway point of that seven-year period. It, it could occur. We might see that built. Don't know. But even if we have it before the rapture occurs, it might be a part of that peace treaty that the Antichrist signs with the nation of Israel and many nations. Actually, it says in Daniel chapter, chapter 9, in that area, it says uh, that he signs a covenant with many. It could be not just with Israel, but with many nations. could be a part of that peace treaty that they get to rebuild their temple on the Holy Mount, which would be a pretty big deal. There would have to be some serious peace for that to happen, wouldn't it? Uh, but that could occur all during the first half of the tribulation period when they are living in peace and safety and they think everything's okay because this guy's made this peace treaty. So it doesn't have to happen before we're taken away. It could. I don't know. It's a good question, though. But look at verse 11. This one's been, it's been a bugaboo for me for years. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does what is right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. Now, I'll be honest with you, this has caused me problems. Because this is the same God that has been saying, turn your life over to Jesus. Turn from your sin. Be forgiven. As you're going to see, He offers, come, drink of the river, the water of life. Why would the same God who says, come to Jesus, say, you're going to be vile? Continue to be vile. It's too late. No, it's not too late. It's almost too late. And that's what I think in this context. I think what He's saying is simply, I think this is a, you'll see verse. You, in other words, um, the time is near. Remember, this just ended with the time is near. That's where we just ended. There's no other time period left. The time is near. Uh, you struggle? You, you don't believe? Keep doing wrong. You'll see. Those of you who are holy, the time is near. Keep doing right. You'll see. Do you see it? I think that's what he's saying. The time is near. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Keep doing wrong. You'll see. You still have a choice. It sounded like it was a no choice. Or, yeah, who cares? But it's not. As Chris just pointed out, it's actually still saying you have a choice. Yes, ma'am. And haven't we had that expression ourselves? What happened your own way? Yeah. In the same kind of yep. attitude. It's like, you'll see. You'll see. It reminds me of Jesus saying, he has ears to hear what we hear. Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. You're still wrestling with it? Go ahead. Yeah. What other choice do we have? 
What do you mean, what other choice do you have? What are we going to do to stop somebody who's filthy from still being filthy? Or from somebody who's doing wrong to stop them? We can't stop them anyway. So, I mean, it's almost like it's a throwaway because it, it's not like it, the opposite. What's no. the opposite? No, no here, I don't say it's a throwaway. Look at it this way. Uh, for those who are living vile, who don't think they're vile, but then God begins to open their eyes that they're vile, it's a wake-up call. In other words, there are people out there that think there's no such thing as a bad person. You, you, you run into these people, correct? They, they think that, uh, no, inherently we're all good. That's what they teach. If anybody's bad, it's because of their environment. They, they grew up in the slums. If they hadn't grown up in the slums, they wouldn't be like this. We know that that's foolishness. Because within each of us is evil. I think along with that is that same kind of a thing. You're going to continue? Why would you say someone continue to be vile? No one's vile. And it might cause you to start looking to see if it is. I thought it was talking to me. No. I thought, I, thought was, I thought it was telling me to let those who are doing wrong continue to do wrong. Well, you know what? Going here, that's the case. What? What choice do I? No, I think it's talking to the vile, and it's talking to the holy. Yeah, the, the, those who are holy continue to be holy. I think that's talking to us. What's that? He's not saying mind your own business. Well, at the same time, you know, I don't think that's what he's saying here because the Bible teaches that if we see our brother or sister in a fault, we're to do something. If we see our neighbor going to hell, we're to tell them. So he's not going to say mind your own business because that's, that's not what he would say. So you definitely can't force them. I'm sorry? This is tied in with the time is near. When the time is near. But when he comes... At that point, it'd be too late. At that point, it's too late. And this is a, this is a statement that he's making. Mm-hmm. You want to continue to be bad? Go right ahead. Yes. Yep. When I come, it's too late. Right, but again, it's tied in with the time is near. And picture up, you'll see. Becky, you had your hand up. Go ahead. I just want to read... Um, this was just in the cross-reference. I'm going to read Daniel 12.10. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined. Yep. It's, t- it's all tied right in. By the way, have you not started to see that the Re- book of Revelation has been written throughout the rest of the Bible? These aren't new verses. Becky just read that same verse almost in Daniel. I think that word let too almost means this is, this is what's going to happen. I mean, I think that that word let is used that way sometimes. Well, you have to also kind of keep in mind, and that's why it's valuable to study and look at other uh, translations. Because maybe the word let's not the best word in that situation. And that's why when you study, have a couple other translations around and we'll see how they put it. Allison, you got your hand back there. Um, Yep. I think it's also telling us not everybody's going to make it. Not everybody's going to understand. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's their choice. Yep. And, that's, and, that, and that is true. And this kind of ties in with, I think, what you were trying to say, Ida, is you can't force it. And so, thank God we've had our eyes opened. Thank God we have responded in faith. Pray for those that God opened their eyes to, because there was a point where you didn't understand it. It made no sense to you. You were against it. But by God's grace, your eyes were open. Pray that their eyes would be open. But we also have to understand, 
There's going to be a separation at this time point. There's going to be a separation, and we're about to read it actually in the next verses. Where there's going to be a separation between those who are in and those who are out. Yes, ma'am. I was going to say we just have to let the spirit do its work and not try to force. Yep. We really we get desperate. We want people to come to the Lord so much. Sometimes we say, "Well, just say these words. Just pray." <laughs> That's a dangerous thing to do, or we have a tendency sometimes to soften it or weaken it, water it down. Fred, you had your hand up. I think Daniel's will be pretty clear on the subject. Mm-hmm. It says, men will be purified, made white and fine, but wicked people will do wicked things that none of them will understand. Only the wise in Christ will understand. Yep. Duke. Yep. When he comes, it's a day of reward for us and judgment for them. Yep. Hate to tell you, folks. Yeah, I, I'm going to say something that might make some of you upset with me, but I, I don't care. All right. But um, I got to just shoot straight with you. I've dealt with a lot of uh, um, parents who don't want to deal with the fact that their child is lost. He's wayward. He's she's lost their way, her way. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they're lost. They're headed for hell. I know that's not an easy thing to deal with. That's why you need to pray, because only God's going to open their eyes. And as a parent, you probably understand. You'd probably be the last person that would be able to help them understand, because there's a certain point that you become the stupidest person on the earth. But don't soften it to the point to think, well, little Jimmy or little Susie's just lost their way. They're lost. They need Jesus. And there is going to be a separation between those who are of faith and those who are not. And you have to acknowledge that. The sooner you acknowledge it, the more you'll pray seriously and fervently for your children. You understand? Let's go on to the next section because we're running out of time. But I'm loving the way you guys are pulling the word out. and You guys might have, might have been taught something. This is awesome. Revelation 22, verses 14 to the end of the chapter. Listen to what he says. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. There's nothing you've got to do to be saved except just receive this gift of, through faith in Jesus. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes the words away from the prophecy, the book, this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Now there's a chunk here we've got to deal with in the time we have left. First thing is, he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes. What are the robes going to be washed in? I wrote down here, does it need to be in uh, Tide, Cheer, Woolite? What, 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 is it, what, what do we want here? But actually, we've already been given the answer to this. Again, everything you've been noticing tonight in Revelation 22 has already been described and talked about in the rest of Revelation. Go, go to John, I mean, sorry, Revelation chapter 7. 
verses 9 through 14, the answer to that statement or that question of what are they be washed in was already told us in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. John says, after this, verse 9 of chapter 7, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory, and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, they, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus says at the end here, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might have the right to the tree of life. How do you get your sins washed away? Through faith in what Jesus did through His death and His resurrection, you will be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. Drink of Him, folks. Eat of Him. Rest in Him. Trust Him. Believe that He's who He is. Not only for salvation, but for all of life. Trust Him. Don't think it's up to you. Rest in Him. And then He says, Blessed are those who, blessed are those who have, wa- have washed their robes. They have a right to the tree of life, and they go through the gates into the city. Now outside, it says, are the dogs, the, those who practice magic arts, sexual immoral, and so on. Uh, it's not saying that right outside in heaven, outside the city, are the evil. It's just saying those who aren't allowed to be in the presence of God for eternity. Those are the ones who are in hell. Remember we saw that the, the great white throne judgment, they were all cast into the lake of fire. And they live, by the way, in the lake of fire. They're, they're alive and tormented day and night forever and ever. It wasn't because they were sexually immoral. We all are, in some extent, according to Jesus' definition of what sexual immorality is. It wasn't because they told falsehood. We all have. Did you do your homework? Dog ate it. I remember in seminary, a professor asking me, did you read your assignment? I remember saying, as far as you know, I didn't lie, but I did. Sort of. Let's be honest. We've all told a lie. So why are they outside then? Because if we're sitting there saying, praise God, we're inside because Jesus washed our robes. Why are they outside then? They've done the same thing we've done. They didn't have their robes washed. They did not put their faith in Jesus. They chose to try to get there themselves another way. And there's only one way. Through Jesus Christ. Folks, people say, well, loving God will never send anybody to hell. He doesn't. He's done everything in His power to keep you from it. Even dying for you. You go to hell, it's because you chose to. You've just rejected the only way you can be forgiven. Yes, ma'am. Are you saying some people don't understand this because they can't comprehend the horror? I'll be honest with you, I can't comprehend the horror. I'll be honest, when I even think about someone in torment forever and ever, my brain shuts off. The only reason I know it's true is because Jesus said it. 
I don't understand how it is, but I don't think that would keep them from understanding this. I think it's just a matter of just choice. That's what the Bible teaches all the way through. Now, let's deal real quickly, though, with this. Well, two things. One, look at verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, remember? Say what? Come. There's still that offer. Here, right to the end. Put your faith in Jesus. Why did John write his book? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Why is this book written? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. And whoever's thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him come. Take free gift of the water of life. But then he gives this warning that has scared so many people. He says, if anybody uh, who hears, I warn everyone that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes words away from the book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Now, there are those who say, that means you can lose your salvation. It looks like you can lose your salvation. God will take away your share in the tree of life. Well, folks, if you haven't heard anything throughout this entire study, you know the Holy Scripture does not teach that. And I'm going to remind you in a passage that we read earlier, and I want you to go back there, and I want you to reread it now and look at some things that will just jump out at you that you didn't notice before because you were looking for something else. Alright? Do not read this as a threat for you to lose your salvation if you add or take away from the book. To do so would be to contradict the clear teaching of the whole Bible that all that God has given Jesus, He will never, ever lose. Look at John 6, a section we read earlier. We're going to look at John chapter 6, verse 44 to start with. I want you to see this. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will what? I will raise him up at the last day. Keep that in mind. Now in John chapter 6, go to verses 35 through 40. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will what? Never go hungry. And he who believes in me will what? Never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still don't believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me and what? Whoever comes to me, I will what? Look at it. Jesus says, I will never drive them away. Therefore, this passage back here in Revelation 22 that says, Be careful. If you add to it or take away from it, you're going to get plagues added or you'll lose your part in the tree of life. Can't be saying that a Christian would lose their part in the tree of life because Jesus has already said, I will never drive them away. Keep reading. Look at what it says. Verse 39, I'm sorry, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me. But what? Raise Him up at the last day. For my Father's will is that, who? Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And He says it a third time. I will raise Him up at the last day. Over in the other side over here, He says it on again. Um, let me see, where it is it? Verse 54, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Folks, the Scripture teaches without question that if you have been given salvation through Jesus, if you've received His Spirit, you cannot lose it. 
Therefore, going back to Revelation 22, this must mean what? That those who would do this aren't in. Remember, there's a separation between those of faith and those not of faith. There's a stern warning here. False prophets, those who would say, well, I believe part of the book of Revelation, but I don't believe the rest of it. You don't have to believe that part either. I heard a man in this area, I'm not going to say even what church it was, actually preach from the pulpit. I've listened to the message where he said, I don't think there's really a hell. A church in this area on the beach side said, I don't think there is a hell. If there is, he said, you only suffer there a short period of time and then you're extinguished because I just have a hard time accepting that God would punish someone like that for eternity. And he preached it in a big church. Be careful. Um, to be honest with you, no, because God has not made me the Gestapo of the beach. But if you were to say to me, I'm thinking about going to such and such a church, I might say, let's talk. Jesus said he will raise us up at the last day. It's a clear promise. He'll never drive any away any who come to him. He'll lose none that come to him. Remember Jesus said in the garden, I've lost none that you've given me, except the one that was never one of us. Remember? I've lost none that you gave me, except the one that never was one of us. Folks, the end of Revelation ends in this way, and this is how we end our study. Jesus says, I am coming soon. What does that mean? Quickly, suddenly. When it happens, it's going to be... You're there. That's what it means. Is the time near? Yeah, because there's no other time period left. The next thing that's going to happen on God's pre-planned timetable is His seven-year period left for the nation of Israel. The rapture could occur any time. Could be now, could be ten years, I don't know. But we need to be watching and ready because, buddy, you won't have time to say, oh, here it comes, when it happens. It's, yeah, yeah, it's going to happen soon when it happens. But look at the response. Jesus said, I am coming soon, and we say what? Amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's say that together. Amen, Lord Jesus, please come. Come, we're ready. But if He chooses not to, that's because there are others that need to trust Him. Remember? He is not slow, as some people count slowness, but He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So if He chooses to have tomorrow happen for us, that's because there's some more people that He wants to come to know Him. And aren't you glad He waited at least until you got saved? <laughs> we can pray that He'll nudge them. Pray that He will nudge them. Let's pray together. Father, what, a, what an awesome thing this has been. Lord, this has actually become even a greater study than I even thought it would have been. And how much You have taught me and are continuing to open my eyes from this study of the book of Revelation. Father, thank You for the fact that tonight as we've looked at the book in this last chapter, everything we saw was already written throughout not only the Bible, but the rest of the book of Revelation. It's just a reminder, a, a summation. And Lord, we thank You for the good news that it's You. That's all because of You. And so, Jesus, we drink of You in faith. We eat of You in faith. We, our whole sustenance, our eternal life is totally resting in You. And we thank You for the fact that You will not lose any of us. And You'll never drive us away. Even though we don't understand parts. Even though we don't fully grasp certain things. Even though there's things that we hear and we believe to be true even though we don't like it. We thank You for the fact that You'll never drive us away. And Father, we do pray that you would come 
and come get us. But we also know that you have a plan, plan and you're, you're perfect. And there's people we sure love to see come to know you as well. And so, Lord, may we just rest each day doing what it is you've asked us to do, being faithful with what it is you've given us, resting in you and not judging the people around us and trying to see whether or not they're doing it right or wrong. May we just be someone that would be fun to be around because we believe you really got it. And we can love the people around us and share with them the truth in love, but leave it to you to open their eyes and not force. But Lord, at the same time, we thank you for the fact that you've shown us in this book what's going on in our world today. And as we watch the news and we read the paper and we see what's happening, we can understand that things are lining up and it, it definitely looks like that near means near. We pray that you would open the eyes of those all around us that they may see who you are and we pray for the nation of Israel. Protect them as you say you will. And may they come to that place where they realize that Jesus is the Messiah. And we look forward to that day when they're gathered, huddled over there in Edom, in Basra, chanting Isaiah 53. He was bruised for our sins and our iniquities. And they look forward for you returning. Lord, there's so many things that are just right, up on, the, right on the precipice of what's going to happen in our world. May we not freak out, but live in such a peace because of what you've shown us in this study that people would ask us to give reason for why we're so relaxed. And may we be able to say, it's because of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.